welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Before we uh, dive in today, I, I think it's really important that we talk and hammer out one thing. Um, we have to kind of be honest with ourselves here. Steve Eisenman is the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It's important, man. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. It's really crucial that we constantly have that as an overarching theme and ethereal guidance as we as we break down all things hockey. On that's, that's one of your favorite words right now. Ethereal. ethereal. Yeah, I've said it quite a bit. I need to get off of it. It's a hot word. It is a hot word. Ethereal. So hot right now. I'm not looking forward to it. But I'm looking forward, kind of, to the point where Steve Eiserman makes a very questionable decision oh, yeah, as yeah. a GM, just to see your reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have uh, almost worse. It would, it would, it's going to be almost as bad as if Steve Eiserman didn't end up coming to Detroit, and I just had to sit there as people just quote tweeted all the <laughs> the inane blabber from the last two years. Um, like, but has- if Eiserman like extends applicator or something. Yeah, I'm going to have a lot of... I'm going to have to take a uh, page out of the Brad Crisco book of mental gymnastics. Yeah, that's going to be great. The And the Detroit Red Wings signed free agent Dan Girardi. <laughs> <laughs> and Eisenman signed him once before, so... Yeah. Anyways, we're not there yet. Um, oh, we forgot Eisenman actually... Uh, Port Custins uh, did an interview with Eisenman. Did you read that? Not yet. <laughs> he made him work for it. They're not kidding when they say Eisenman gives you nothing. Like, we'll get to it. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad. No, Evan, we're not doing this again. Ah, uh, I'm yeah. Evan. Yeah, no. <laughs> Every time. I'm working on my dramatic pauses no. still because he won't let me. No. <laughs> I'll be editing the episode and be like, why did we go silent for 11 seconds? And Listen, just... I'm. Tr- let me help you. No. I, I, that's the last thing I will let you do. Okay. Yeah, I've I've known you for long enough. Um, Evan's wearing a really cool shirt today, and he refused to sell it to me for six dollars. Uh, Pretty garbage. Friend. It was at a large. Since we don't give free plugs, it was at a large golf store on sale for like six months. What, it probably still is. What golf store was this? Was it in any particular town? In every town. Okay. Uh, okay. Every uh, town with a population over like 250,000 has at least one of these. So a town that plays golf. Got you. A yes. town, comma, all right. Yes. Got it, got it, got yep. it. Uh, on today's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll actually be kicking off a couple of exciting things um, leading up to the NHL draft and heading into the offseason. Yes, hockey is still going. Yes, we're going to be covering that as well. Uh, but in addition to the playoffs and, and whatever comes up and whoever Brad Marchand has licked or, you know, attacked recently um we'll be talking about every single uh prospect that is realistic for detroit to pick at number six um we're gonna we're gonna be doing deep dive uh hashtag deep dive draft profiles uh on every prospect from rank from like three to wherever we get really uh today's is going to start with Vasily Podkoles and we're going to start at the top of the rankings um and we're going to break down everything that we know about this prospect who they are what they will be uh what they could be to Detroit and whether it makes sense for Detroit to take them um and then in addition to that we're also going to be starting another plan where we are going to be tackling uh every Red Wing currently on the team 
talking about the seasons they've had, uh, the progress they've made, or uh, the regression they've had, um, what's to look forward to them moving forward. Basically, just a deep dive on those players. Yep. So hashtag off season content yeah we're uh we're a lot more structured this off season for you guys don't worry there's gonna be plenty of shenanigans and hilarity for you as well um but we thought yeah we should probably be doing the hockey thing for as long as we can um and there is a lot of a lot to talk about this was a pretty transformative year for detroit and in terms of the draft this is the most wide open i have ever seen a not like a pick at detroit's range the more i've watched footage and the more i've watched the u18s the less I know about how the top 10 of this draft is going to go. I can confidently say Hughes is going to go one and Kako is going to go number two. That's it. That and it from that's it. I could see Vasily Podkolzin going third. I could see him dropping out of the top 10. I could see Cole Caulfield going 19th. I could see him going third. It's Alex Newhook is a new. Yeah, I've been really yeah. impressed with him. I watched a couple of his games in the BCHL and I was not impressed. And now I have to go find more footage of him because he was real good at the U18s. So we'll do playoffs first and then we'll get into. Oh, yeah, because that's going to be because there's yeah. a lot of meat there. Yeah, the U18s have um, shifted a lot of people's perspectives on a lot of different prospects. Yeah, which Where- even just philosophically, I'm kind of at a crossroads as to how to approach that. Yeah. Uh, but the playoffs first. So as we literally as we stopped recording last episode, as we got we stopped recording the interview and we were just chatting with Prashanth and Max, we were all watching the Carolina Washington game on silent on mute and uh, Carolina won in game seven overtime. Yeah, we were still on the phone with him and uh, Prashanth's feed was about five seconds ahead of us. And he's like, holy crap. And we're like, what? He's like, Carolina just scored. And we're like, no, yeah. watch. <laughs> uh, and we're uh, well into round two now. And so every series has kind of been established. Um, played two games. No, Carolina Islanders and San Jose uh, and Colorado both have another game to play before they reach two. So Dallas-St. Louis is tied 1-1. Um, that's actually been a pretty entertaining series. To nobody's surprise, honestly. To nobody's surprise, yeah. Which one, sorry? Uh, Dallas-St. Louis. Yeah, I actually watched that one yesterday, Mm -hmm. and it's getting pretty nasty. I think that's just St. Louis, man, because it was the same thing with Winnipeg in the first round. People are there going all over Tarasenko right now. He gets zero free passes anywhere on the ice. Well, what was the stat I was reading this week? Someone said out of active NHL players, and active, I mean, like, not retired so that would be what active is I think. no some people might think still left in the playoffs but oh. no still not retired vladimir tarasenko has the highest playoff goals per game higher than ovechkin higher than crosby well, the guys the people have kind of forgotten about tarasenko and and i don't know why because i wouldn't exactly classify st louis as a small hockey market they're pretty... They're pretty rich in tradition at this yeah. point in their history. So Tarasenko's first half of the season was so underwhelming yeah. that his end-of-year stats did not look great, even though he was his normal fantastic self in the second half of the season. But when you're going through the league's leading scores and every other major stat at the end of the year, Tarasenko's name isn't there. Um Another St. Louis player, Oscar Sunkfist, who was the beneficiary of a Tom Wilson hit in the preseason, I believe, um, ran into some more issues. He he whacked Ben Bishop. He just gave him a really good slash. And Ben Bishop sold it a little bit. But he did go, like, Ben Bishop was playing the puck behind the net, and then he slashed him. And as a defenseman, I was like, ooh, bad move. And then he, uh, he skated up the ice, and both Dallas defensemen 
just mugged him. <laughs> and he ended up on the ice because uh, Klingberg actually, like, hit him uh, from from behind or, like, a blindside shoulder. And, like, Sunkvist wasn't, like, braced. And so his head kind of rocked quite a bit. Um, and you could just see him on the ice just kind of, like, groggy and going, oh. And I'm like, well, man, don't slash a goalie. <laughs> you should be pre- prepared for the onslaught that's yeah. coming. Play yeah. stupid games, you know, when get knocked in the head. And come on, Oscar. The refs aren't calling anything. So no. as soon as you realize they didn't call you for the slash, that you should have known they weren't going to call whatever the hell was about to happen to you. I cannot pin down what the refs will or won't call on any given roughing or scrum after the whistle. Like Brad Marchand uh, in yesterday's game two against Columbus, uh, at the end of the period, cross-checked someone. And then that same person got grabbed from behind by another Boston Bruin and just, like, started rocking him back and forth and, like, punching him. And and then the whole scrum broke out and everyone did a lot of things. And then uh, a Bruin and a Blue Jacket were dropped gloves and were throwing hands. Like, they were punching each other around the ref. Get back from intermission. Martian's the only one in the box. <laughs> Which, like, uh, okay, I'm glad they actually called the initial cross-check because of all the things that Martian gets away with, that's the most infuriating. That was his first penalty of these playoffs. <laughs> like, wow. But the two guys who literally connected their fists to the other's jaws, gloves came off, did were just playing. And I'm like, what standard of referee? Uh, anyways, it's, it's really hard to kind of... When players complain these playoffs about, you know, we thought we had a good game and... Uh, just the calls didn't go our way, and we don't want to be complaining about that, but we think that if we come out with a better game, or the same game, and, and the, the calls go our way this time, then uh, we'll get the result. Like, I don't think they're wrong. <laughs> and I think people underestimate the impact it has on the game, so kudos to the refs in the Columbus-Boston game last night, because they were calling everything, even in overtime. Bergeron gets his stick between Seth Jones' legs, bit of a can opener, Jones goes down, a play we've seen not called how many times in these playoffs, but it was called Columbus scored on that power play. And oh, by the way, that was in the second overtime. Yeah, there was uh, another strange moment in that game when um, who got high sticked? Somebody on Boston got high sticked and they got cut. So obviously it's a four minute penalty and they called. They said it was on Pierre-Luc Dubois, but yeah. it clearly was on somebody else. It was. They switched it out. And then they reviewed it. They Which they the didn't do in the San Jose game when Pavelski got hurt. So, two standards. Yeah, they were the same I, type of review. They were both. They were double checking to see who was the right person to to sit in the penalty box. But they didn't do that in the San Jose game. So, what what world are we living in right now? Now, I don't know what's allowed to be reviewed and what's not. And I think I missed that play because I was, um, I only caught the third period in overtime of that game. Cause you know, end game, mm-hmm. I had to get that out of the way, but yeah, because now when you say review, did they go yeah. to the phone or were they just looking up at the jumbotron? I know they've, they had the whole headset on and were and reviewing were it they, that way. Were they called over by upstairs or did they go up? They, did they try to initiate? Who? It wasn't, it wasn't really clear, but they they did pull Dubois out of the box and they sent someone, which else is in. huge. They took a, basically one of their winger, or the, Dubois is a centerman, and they, they got to keep him rightfully so. Yeah, but you know the Pavelski thing wasn't really an Eakins fault. Like he probably shouldn't have been in the box for that, and that would have been huge for for Vegas as well. Let alone you know arguing the fact that maybe or maybe not that was a penalty, but. 
you have two almost identical situations, but two different ways of resolution. So maybe there's something in the rule book about you can confirm a player, but you can't review the actual call you itself. You can't review this, the severity of the penalty, I believe. Yeah. The penalty itself can't be changed, but you can ch- you can make sure that you have the right guy who actually committed the infraction. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, they talked about it about 20,000 times on Sportsnet yesterday, oh, so yeah. clearly there's it's not well understood. Okay. So here's the next question, because a friend of the podcast, Sean McIndoe, Down Goes Brown, wrote a great article this week about penalty reviews. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to spoil the consensus of his article, but I want to get into a quick flash poll. Evan, in favor of reviews on penalties. Uh, what level of review? Like any Ma- aspect major, of it? Pe- let's say major penalties. Reviewable? Like making sure it's the right person? Making no, sure it's- actually reviewing the call. No. Yeah. What? Are you agreeing with me or saying you no, should review I'm it? Saying, I'm saying a major penalty should be reviewable. Okay, I'm with Evan here. I hate the slowing down of sports, whether it be baseball, whether it be any sport. The time it takes a baseball manager to review a call is brutal. Yeah. And if the NHL goes down that route where their claim to selling the game is it's fast, is exciting, anything to slow it down, I'm against. And so I know that the NFL just um initiated they're gonna do penalty reviews this season because of that awful non-call in the ram saints game in the welcome to a seven hour football game so for those who are not from canada the cfl has had those penalty reviews this season where you could review pass interference and whatnot it's awful now one of the main points that sean made in his article about these penalty reviews is if his basic argument was if you were only going to review the major penalties that already exist in the game, sure. Because how many five-minute penalties are called in a game? Barely any. You'd get a half a dozen. But will that hold up? No, of course not. Because if a ref is unsure of a, a call, what's he going to do now? Match and majors are supposed to be egregious yeah. penalties. Like yeah. They are obvious. Yeah. So if the ref's like the Tyler Bertuzzi slash against the Islanders, where that one could have went either way. So let's say that ref was unsure when he first saw that. What's he going to do? He's going to call a major. Then he can review it and reverse his decision and have another look at it. So It's a way of the refs protecting their butts. Yeah, and what's going to happen with that? We are going to see a lot more reviews. And then what's going to happen down the road? Well, there's going to be another... Let's say that Patrice Bergeron and Seth Jones trip wasn't called last night and Boston goes down and scores and Columbus doesn't win the game. Well, that was a pretty severe impact on a game. Probably should start reviewing those. And we're already reviewing majors, so it's not that big a change. And now it's that... You give them a min- an inch, they'll take a mile. Exactly. Look at... We thought when, when you go back in time and go over the goalie reviews and the... Coaches challenge. Yeah, the coaches challenge for goalie interference and the offside reviews, nobody thought that was going to be nearly as big an issue as it is now. Nobody. Everybody's like, well, yeah, let's get it right. That's you know, great. if it's 20 feet offside like Matt Duchesne was, yeah. that makes sense that it should be reviewable. And just like in the NFL where it was one call that triggered this rule, in the NHL where it was that one Matt Duchesne offside that triggered these reviews, now it's this one call in the playoffs that's going to trigger these penalty reviews. 
the league has to stop overreacting to one-offs. And normally I dump all over the NHL. This isn't an NHL only problem. Like I just said, the NFL is having the same problem. Other sports do the same thing. Don't slow the game down more. Don't put in more reviews. I'm the advocate. I want them to pull offside reviews, goalie interference reviews. I would be happier living with more bad calls if it means we're not going through one to two of these reviews every damn game. For me, one of the experiences of sports are those missed calls and those calls that shouldn't have been called. Like that's part of the allure of sport. Uh, and, and, and not to get to, but not to get too Thanosy here. But everything gets balanced. For as many times as your team over the course of a couple of years, as many times as your team gets screwed by a bad call, they're going to benefit from a bad call. But you don't remember the benefits because you didn't have that emotional attachment to it like you do when your team gets screwed. No, you're totally right. But I don't see this as a, a ledger. You know, I don't see the good calls versus the bad calls and make sure that you come out with the black. I see this as a powerhouse in the Western Conference is eliminated from the playoffs. Largely so apart. really, it's get better refs. <laughs> okay, yeah, but that is that. That truly is the answer, right? Like the amount of accountability on the referees is not in question because uh, Brad, you tweeted out um, all the ref the referees that were involved with pretty much every major controversy in, in the first round did not move on to the second round because the refing group, like the the teams, gets uh, shrunken down each round. It's performance based. Yeah. Now because of that, we have Tim Peel in the second round, but I digress. Um, <laughs> Isn't that telling of yeah. how the refing was in the first round? By and large, there needs to be a fundamental shift in how these referees call games. We mentioned this last episode, so we're not going to dive into it again. But this whole let it play crap needs to stop. The problem is with the refs. Being a ref has only gotten more difficult in the past five, ten years. They they have more accountabilities. The game is faster than it's ever been, and there's going to be we're going to see a lot more wrong or missed calls because their job is unbelievably more difficult than it's ever been and what needs to happen is improved technologies the uh soccer or football depending on where you're listening from um has var and they have uh you know referees looking from above that help they're in the uh on on pitch referees ears I, yeah so that's something the nhl could look into but i think yeah, going over over to the penalty box throwing on the headset waiting and waiting and waiting like if 30 seconds isn't enough time to figure it out, then just let it stand. So here, here's my one of the other big issues I have with penalty reviews. Much like goalie interference is a subjective call, penalties are subjective. Let's go to the Boston-Toronto series from round one. Austin Matthews goal, I want to say it was game five. Third period, huge goal. Zach Hyman cross-checks the defenseman and the momentum from him cross-checking the defenseman sends him back into Tukarask. Puck goes over to Austin Matthews two seconds later. It's in the back of the net. Tukarask wasn't overly impeded, but he was impeded enough that you could say that. So you, on Twitter, uh, during that review, 50-50 split. That's a good goal. That's a bad goal. That shouldn't count. That should count. Even with reviews, we're not getting consensus on goal interference, and we're not necessarily getting the right call every time. Do you think that's going to happen with major reviews? Like that Tyler Bertuzzi slash against the Islanders that Red Wings fans saw. That is a call that would be split right down the middle okay. if you asked for it. So now we're going to, when we get these subjective calls, 
We're going to get longer reviews. It's not going to be the guy upstairs calling down to the refs. Yep, nope, you got it wrong. Reverse it. No, no, no. They're going to sit there and talk about that for five minutes. They're going to look at each frame for 10 seconds, and it's going to be mind-numbing. Yeah. Here's my thing, and here's where I I diverge with you guys pretty far on this, because I don't think that the league should shy away from getting things right just if the path there is difficult. You're right that offside and goalie reviews have been rocky, to say the least. Yeah. But I think the spirit of what they're doing is beneficial for the game long term. There, there's a lot of fundamental issues here and where, where the league is kind of ignoring, and I think that's where they're going wrong. Their definition of goalie interference isn't solid, and that's why we can't figure out <laughs> what goalie interference is. The referees don't have consensus. The rule book doesn't even define a consensus. The league, the war room in Toronto doesn't have consensus. I'm sure if you put all of them in isolated rooms and ask them all the same question, they'd give you 10 different answers, right? Like, there's no solid black and white. Every hockey fan knows this is goalie interference. This is not. They have not established, and maybe the rules do define that, but it just kind of goes too far against established precedent and and tradition, which sounds silly, but actually matters a lot. Because if you have however many hockey fans watching each game, and now you're telling them everything that they've known about the sport is wrong, maybe they're not the ones who are wrong. There's, they kind of screwed the pooch from the start because they're not able to even say what they're trying to achieve. But I don't think that should stop them. I don't necessarily think they should get rid of goalie reviews. Offside reviews, I kind of concede defeat on that one. I think you're completely correct. Those are a nightmare. But And yet those are the only ones that are black and white for the most part. You know what? <laughs> I would, Blue and white, I think. I, I, and I don't argue. I don't agree with the spirit of the rule for, for offside. I think if you're a millimeter offside, you're a millimeter offside and it's invalid. If the naked eye can't catch it, you didn't impact the play. Okay, but that's. Anyways, I'm a I'm a purist jerk who's saying that, but I don't think the me's of the world should be able to be even in this argument unless you have 4K cameras with sensors on the boards at the blue lines. Yeah, well, it's like those security cameras, they have three pixels. Like, yeah. this is a billion-dollar sport. Get some 4K cameras no, on the boards. No, just FaceTime a bodyguard from the – or FaceTime a security guard from the parking it looks, lot. It looks like my Motorola, Motorola Razor phone taking pictures. It's brutal. The NHL needs to – that's yeah. something that they need to seriously step up. So – I'm going to circle this entire argument back to my main point of why I'm against more reviews. When you break down the NHL as a business, what is it? It's an entertainment business. The whole reason they exist is so I can plop my ass on my couch and millions of other people can go to the arena and watch from a bar, watch from their house and be entertained for two and a half hours. These reviews are taking away from that experience. I'm going to go even beyond just the slowing down of the game because realistically, as irritated as I get when they're sitting there for five minutes trying to determine if a guy's skate blade was off the ice, I can... How many expletives do you say in that five minutes? I can live with that, though. I honestly hate it, but it's not necessarily the make or break for me. What I've noticed has started to happen that I absolutely hate is if, let's say the Red Wings are coming down on a two-on-one, Bertuzzi and Larkin. If Bertuzzi looks like he's just a couple feet ahead of Larkin, and then they go in, I almost don't want them to score because I'm like, well, that's going to come back. Like, I wasn't sure if he was offside, but I don't want, and if they do score, I'm not immediately off my coach. Yes, amazing, I'm... Ah, is this even going to count? So the main joy of watching a sport when your team scores 
is being diminished. Now, I know penalty reviews are not the same thing, but again, it's that you see Nick Cronwall coming up the boards, but he's got his head down. He just levels him. The crowd jumps up, but now, ah, they're going to review that. Uh, see, the thing is, I don't think this, the penalty review should apply to any situation other than if a major is called, you can review a major that has been called. You can't retroactively go back and... But getting back to a point I made very early, how many refs are going to call that a major just just to get the review? Because they're like, ah, did he? I couldn't tell if he caught his shoulder or his head. So they're like, okay, but you maybe. know what? Let, let's call it. Okay, we got the review. Nope, that was all shoulder, no penalty, game on. Okay. Like, I... We can Again, I agree if they just did the call the major, someone from upstairs calls down quickly, yes, no, move on, I'd be down for that. I have zero faith in it actually working out that way. So we can do this all day, and maybe we'll circle back to this. I don't even get on this conversation. So we were, it was, we were talking about the playoffs because it was it was relevant. So so the other series, San Jose is currently up one uh, nothing over Colorado. Carolina is up one nothing over the Islanders. Blue Jackets and Bruins are tied. Dallas and St. Louis are tied. So there's there's more games. So we talked about the Dallas St. Louis series. We kind of talked about Columbus Boston. I want to talk about Carolina Islanders. Okay, a. How fun is it that one of Carolina or the Islanders is going to be in the conference final? Oh, I love it. I hope, I hope awesome. it's Carolina. I do this hope is, it's Carolina this just is, for the to piss off Don Cherry. This is amazing. Also, to relate it back to the Red Wings, because I've seen a lot of Red Wings fans who are very angry because Peter Mrazek's in the second round. Not going to make a big deal of this. He had a phenomenal game one against the Islanders. I mean, it went to what? Overtime and he still finished with a shutout? Mm-hmm. He had an 899 save percentage in the first round against Washington. He wasn't bad. He wasn't the reason Carolina moved on. He, If Carolina wins the Stanley Cup tomorrow, he's not the Conn Smythe winner. Moving on. Um, how fun is it, too, also that Columbus could be the Atlantic Division champions and Colorado could be the Pacific Division champions? I love that. I love that so <laughs> Get much. the banners up. The So Islanders in the conference finals would have been great if it was Toronto on the other end. That would have truly made me happy. Um, honestly, I just really want to see... Boston's a great hockey team. I, I want to preface this by saying Boston is a fantastic hockey team. And probably of the teams remaining, on paper, based on their performance this year, the best team. Oh, I think statistically, based on points in the standings, they have home ice all the way through now. I just don't... I want to see the chaos of these playoffs continue. And I don't want to see like one of the traditional powerhouses come through because all of a sudden they have an easier path because everything went to hell in the first round. Granted... They've earned their way here. They they had a hard-fought series against Toronto. But I am pulling for more of the underdogs. Oh, 100%. 100%. Carolina-Columbus as a conference final, and then St. Louis-Colorado. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. I think those are my actual predictions. So anyone but Boston? Yeah, pretty much is where I'm at. Yeah, is anybody other than Boston not considered, at least in some capacity, an underdog here? Oh, everyone in Canada is now rooting against Boston. Now that they're I not guess playing Toronto San Jose anymore. is not really a But they've never, they've never won a cup, uh, ever. If I had to pick one team on each side, I would love to see Joe Thornton win a cup. Or yeah. Eric Carlson or Gus Nyquist. They're younger. I'm more about they Carlson than Gus. They don't, they're younger. I don't care that much. And then I would Sweet. love to see a Tavares... Less Islanders win a cup, <laughs> just because then my tweet puts it into the legendary oh realm. Oh my god! Yeah, 
Um, let's shy away from the playoffs right now. There's going to be more to talk about every episode. Uh, Vasily Podkolzin. So like we mentioned, we are going to chat about every prospect that Detroit could possibly take at six. And there's a few different variables here. One, we don't know what Detroit's thinking. We have a few hints. But in general, we don't know how Detroit values these guys. Two, we have no idea how picks three, four, and five are going to go. We, this is going to be a crapshoot, so let's review everything. Let's, I, let's, let's do this. He is projected at three for most of the year. Yeah. Let's just do a yes or no. Do you think he would be available at Detroit's pick? Just, just say yes or no. No. Yes. I I say yes as well. It was a close no for me. I I yeah. It's not a hundred percent, zero percent. It's really great. I think. Funny enough, the only guy I can guarantee going in the top five outside of um, Hughes and Kako are, are is um, Bowen Byram. That's the yeah. only person I can absolutely guarantee is going there. Going in the top five? Yeah. I'm not even sure he is. I don't think he falls. I, th- I think I, no I know his stock has only risen, and you look at the historical trends of where defensemen go. Oh, I agree. As, as of this moment, I'm flirting with him as my number three ranked prospect, but... I know teams don't draft on need, but when everybody is this closely matched, you can go to need. I don't think any of Chicago, Colorado, or LA's main needs are defensemen. No, no. I think I, they all need a forward more than they need a defenseman right now, and that maybe drops Byram to six, but this is about Pod Colson. We need to know, did Detroit <laughs> let goals in for Pod Colson? I just, very quickly before we go to Pod Colson, I'm excited for the... Cole Caulfield episode, but I have to say this right now because this guy is torching every record in the US NTDP. I think him and Ovechkin are now tied for the most goals at the U18 tournament over the course of two years. Yeah, yeah. they were, unless Caulfield scored today, because fair warning, uh, for record reference, we're recording this as well, the game's over now, but we started recording as Team Canada was playing the US for the bronze medal. So Caulfield could have broken that record while we were recording. So I'm going to check. Cole Caulfield, and, and I posted a tweet about this, and it was a pretty routine goal for him, and it might have been an overreaction from me. But he was coming down on the right side, and there's a defenseman who stumbled and was on his knees and wasn't in a position to defend the shot. And so Caulfield recognized that, saw a goalie in position behind that defenseman. The goalie was squared up to him. Faked a shot. Faked a shot when he had a clear lane. But it wasn't a clear lane for him to put the puck in confidently. So he faked the shot on a defenseman that was already down. That got the defense, it kept the defenseman down. The guy was stumbling all over himself. The goalie bit and then had to move laterally. And then Caulfield deked further to the right at an objectively worse angle. But what he did was change the shooting angle and get the goalie moving. And then just with absolute precision, finish the shot. Max, actually, I was talking to Max and he was like, Did you see this goal today? And he sent it to me. Caulfield is not. Yes, he's been benefited from from playing with Hughes or Turcotte or whoever, but Cole Caulfield is natural the, goal scorers find a way to score whether it's a highlight reel one or it hits him in their ass and it goes in. He's the real deal as a goal scorer, and this guy is about to test every single GM who preaches we're going to take the best player available to us at our pick. We don't know who that is, but we'll take the best one. They all preach that. Everyone has guys in mind. Cole Caulfield is shattering people's draft boards. Oh, yeah. And for good reason. I think if a team took him third, fourth, fifth, sixth, they'd be completely justified. 100%. But we're not here to talk about Cole Caulfield. We're here to talk about Vasily Podkolzin. Okay, so Podkolzin, deep dive. 
So you're gonna start. I'll start. If we're gonna go by recency, very poor U18 performance. Yeah, not inspiring. Well, he's still got the gold medal game, and if he scores a hat trick or something in the gold medal game, that'll sure. be the story. But he has two assists in six games so far. There have been rumors going around that he might be playing with a knee injury, but that's not been confirmed, so we can't factor that in right now. He's looked dangerous. His motor's still going, but just nothing's been happening happening for him. And again, Russia's in the final, so it's not like he's on a poor team. They've been winning. So, starting with the question mark. Vasily Podkolzin, by all standard eye tests, gauges, whatever you want to use, has all the tools in the world. He can skate well. Elite hands. Fantastic shot. He plays unreal on his own end. Yeah. He's he's a 200-foot player the way you would want a centerman to be a 200-foot player. And his competitiveness is at the very top of this draft. There is... It's the anti-typical Russian factor, yeah. but th- this guy works on the ice. So when I say all that, this sh- sounds like a slam dunk pick at number three. There are some questions about his hockey IQ, though. Does he always make the right play? Does he try to do too much? What's How good is his vision? Where And there is very legitimate questions to all of those things. Now... The comforting note here, if you're picking him at a risk, this guy's going to be an NHL player. He has too much raw tools to not be an NHL player. But is he going to be your third line center who kills penalties, plays a good 200 foot game, but puts up 30 to 40 points a year? A very realistic possibility for him. Is he going to be the center version of Vladimir Tarasenko? He could also realistic he could possibility. arguably be a Pavel Datsuk in waiting. He, he has the exact same shot as Pavel Datsuk had. Yeah. Here's yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Like there's no facet of this game of the game technically where you can pin down and say he's anything less than good, if not great. Like I've seen everything from people saying he's a decent skater, and as they report more, they're like, no, this guy has great skating, good agility. Like, awesome skater. His hands are fantastic. His shot, uh, you know, he maybe at the beginning, the, the prospect profiles were saying, oh, he doesn't have the hardest shot. But then they realized it's how elusive. Utilize- oh, my goodness. He's, his his shot selection and his shot placement is, like, makes that shot from go from good to great. His his tool set reminds, like, everyone always says, like, Pavel Datsuk, Pavel Datsuk. But he reminds me more of a Rick Nash. He's kind of got a good body to play that gritty power forward um, game, but he can also play, he can also kill penalties and he's, he's got the skill set to be a pure sniper. Yeah. He, and the fact that he plays at a hundred percent all the time is something, you know, <laughs> it's so, it's such a Mike Babcock thing to see, but it's such a, like, a, that's the coach's dream. A guy who you never have to worry about whether it's not Anthony Mantha. It's the opposite of Anthony Mantha. You know, Anthony Mantha gets dumped behind the boards and it takes him 11 seconds to get on his feet. Not Pod Colson. Pod Colson's giving 100% both ways. That you're telling me this guy can rip a shot, it'll ring off the iron, take a bad bounce, go for a rush uh, the other way, and he's one of the first forwards back, or even beating his own defenseman there? That's exactly what you want to see. But like you said, how is this going to translate? Because hockey IQ, as we learn year over year, is so, so crucial. It's for the me, most crucial me, aspect. It's the motherboard. It's the motherboard. If he's a computer, it's the motherboard that ties everything together. 
True. It's very true. I, I looked at yeah. you after I said that. I was like, is that <laughs> right? It's very true. Um, <clears throat> for me, where he goes in the draft is not dependent on his ability relative to everybody else that's now throwing wrenches into the, the, the draft boards. It's the fact he plays for St. Petersburg in Russia. Um, they are rich. They have the most money in the KHL, I believe. And I think he's under contract for at least two years. Mm-hmm. So when will you see this guy? Because if he wants to make money, he's already in the perfect spot to be doing it because that team will outpay any team on an ELC and probably going forward. And it's probably cash or tax-free. So that that factor is going to apply to some teams, not others. If you're the Chicago Blackhawks picking at three... Very relevant because you want Chicago probably expects to be good this year, if not in the, the year after. So that could be a heavy factor in their decision because they would want him over ASAP. If you're the Detroit Red Wings, who we know are going to suck this year and probably suck the year after, I that that does not even bother me in the slightest because there was another prospect that people already forget who was taken in the first round that took a few years to come over, stayed in Russia longer than everybody thought. I know who you're going to say. Who am I going to say? Panarin? Nope. Ah, well, then I don't know. Nope. Evgeny Kuznetsov. Do you think Washington is unhappy with that pick at this moment in time? No. No, it's... So... If the skill is there, it's worth the wait. So, again, if it's the Red Wings, I don't care. The Russian factor doesn't factor into me at all. But Chicago and Colorado, teams who are good now or trying to be good now, I could absolutely see that factor What happens when his contract at St. Petersburg ends? Does he... Is he contractually obligated to come to the team that drafts him or yeah, is it the yeah. Russian factor where Sh- they are like oh he disappeared I don't know if Chicago picks him at three Chicago holds his rights till he comes over until I think it's after the age of 25 they yeah. lose his rights so he basically has you have to wait two years unless he comes over early okay but here's the thing everyone's everyone keeps fixating on that two years pick a prospect outside of the top three that you don't have to wait two years for, right? You're essentially getting two years of a guy who's NHL ready playing with men still. And that's a max of two years. I agree with Brad. And you know what? Custance asked Steve Eisman this, and this is one of the few straight answers that Eisman even gave Craig Custance, was, I'm not worried about it. Almost every good Russian player ends up coming over. Look at them all. You, you have a hard time picking. Yeah, some take longer than others, but almost always they come over. I would not be concerned about this. You do have a point, Brad, in uh, a Chicago if they're they're aiming to be good sooner, which I don't know if they will be. But if that is the case, then yeah, they Colorado might. definitely will be. Yeah, it, they might shy away from it. But for Detroit, if Pod Colson's sitting there at six, you have to. You and have let's to. say okay, mm. uh, it's so hard to say like who else is sitting there. It depends who else is sitting there because if it's if it's Pod Colson up against Turcotte or Byram, I'm going to be thinking real long and hard about that one. I would put. I would. I would think about Byram. I think as much as I love Turcotte, and this is a, a weird, you know, Mobius strip of nothing. Now we keep talking sense. about Pod uh, Colson as a center. He's a winger. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I think is, we mentioned center earlier. He's a winger. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a he's a winger. Um, but if it's Pod Colson and Byram, I'd think about it. But if it's Turcotte and Pod Colson, I'd go Pod Colson. But if it's Turcotte and Byram, I am also thinking about it. So nothing makes sense. Nothing makes any sense. So basically, sense at all. if it's Pod Colson and forwards. It's Pod Colson for me. If it's Pod Colson and Byram, I'm just flipping a coin probably. So the, again, because I'm gonna my I don't have a definitive opinion on this yet. We've got two months till the draft because 
to me, the most important skill in a hockey player is his mind, is hockey IQ. The motherboard. Where, again, I look at a player like Alex Turcott, he's got it. That's not a debate in my mind. Alex Turcott, Turcott's hockey IQ is very, very high. So even though I don't think he's as skilled as Pod Colson, ah, man, do I take the high IQ center versus the high skill winger? I do not know. And again, it's not like I can sit here and say definitively Vasily Pod Colson is a ton better than Alex Turcott. So, of course, I'm just taking the better player, as was the case with Zadina last year versus all the defensemen. Oh, man, you know what? I do not know. If the insiders start thinking about Pod Colson's going to be slipping down, I bet you the first phone call Steve Eiser makes is to Sergei Fedorov and says, give me everything you know about this guy. Tell me what I need to know, and is he a guy we take if he's available at six? And I think that conversation will will determine it for Detroit right there. Side quote that we'll talk about in a future episode, but uh, Jimmy Devolano in an interview this week said that now that Eisman's here, they, he thinks it's a good chance 91 goes to the rafters. Yeah. We'll get back to that later, though. I think that'll happen as soon as 2020. I think and it's a little premature about Colson hasn't played on the team yet. <laughs> you think the, he'll take 91? Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Pod Colson's almost a boring draft profile because he's so these are what this is what's good. Nearly everything. Here's what's questionable. Hockey IQ, creativity, hockey sense, those kinds of things. I wouldn't even say creativity, man. That guy pulls some stuff out of his ass. That's fair. But the reason it works at this level, like when you go to the Halinka tournament back in the summers, he scored at least three goals that that just made your jaw hit the floor. They were absolutely mental. He walks through three guys as he's falling, pulls it around the goalie and puts it in. But again, the question needs to be asked in circumstances like that. Is that a play he should make in the NHL? Because strong men with better positioning and all that, those he doesn't score those goals. No. Did he only get there because he's stronger and faster than the players he was up against? It's... In some instances, the answer is, yeah, no, he's just that good. He can do it at the NHL. In some instances, like we'll talk about with Dylan Cousins, no, it's only because he's bigger and stronger and you faster. Know, someone who's got that work ethic like Pod Colson does and that tool set, you know, it's it, it might be a, a hard transition at the start, but he's already playing with men. <laughs> so I think you, having that tenacity to, to improve your tool set, I think he stands a real good chance to continue into the NHL level. Well, like, his detractors, one of their things is a big reason why they, they think his hockey IQ is a problem is because when he is playing against men, his numbers aren't mind-blowing. No, and you look at his numbers in the MHL this year and a couple of the other Russian leagues he's played in, they're not outstanding. They're not bad. Don't get me wrong. They're not. They don't... <laughs> we just watched him play in the exact same tournament as Cole Caulfield, Trevor Zegers, Dylan Cousins, Peyton Krebs on and on and on and on and statistically he had the worst tournament out of all of them that's that he had a worse tournament than guys who are projected to go in the second round and again sample size i do not yeah. make or break my opinion on the u18s but it's a factor it all adds to the collection of thought and information. Cole Caulfield just tied Alex Ovechkin's tournament goal record. Jack Hughes just broke Alex Ovechkin's all-time tournament points record. So career. So factoring in both years. Vasily Podkol isn't at two points this year. <clears throat> you can't ignore that. And again, you look he, in the MHL, I think he had, has like eight points in 15 games. He had a crazy Holinka tournament where he had, I think it was 15 points in eight games or something like that. 
But yeah, this year in the KHL, three games with St. Petersburg, no points. In the VHL, five points in 14 games. In the MHL, eight points in 12 games. Um, in the U20, the World Juniors, he had three points in seven games, which that's actually a positive in the World Juniors. And then, Didn't he yeah. play like very minimal minutes in the World Juniors? No, they actually played him pretty like in a pretty significant oh. role, which is actually a testament to how good Pod Colson is. Because he must be good because they never exactly play guys in even Andres even Andres Svechnikov last year played a minimal role for Russia at the WJCs, whereas Pod Colson was on the ice protecting leads with less than a minute left. To me, Pod Colson has like exponentially higher chance of dropping than Zadina did. Oh, oh, much yeah. higher. I, I could see him going all the way down to eight or nine. And that's not that that's not a comparison of uh, Zadina versus Pod Colson. That's a comparison of the field around Pod Colson versus the field around Zadina. Yep. There is a lot more substantial talent everywhere after pick two. Now, to wrap up the Pod Colson talk, in Detroit's internal ranking, so every prospect less Hughes and Kako, where do you have Pod Colson? What number? Like my personal list? Yeah. Oh man, my uh, my yeah. list was if I had to right now, where it is right now tangentially in this moment. <laughs> Brad's working I'm, on his dramatic yeah, pauses. <laughs> I'm 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 flipping between four and five, so I'll just say four for now because I think he's a safer. four four. I I think I have Byram ahead of him at this moment. In wait, time. wait, 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 no, no, no. What was the question? Oh, and where outset like take Hughes and Kako off the board? Okay, for so. You, like Detroit's, like Detroit's list that they're working with, which is everyone besides Q's and Kako. So oh, okay. Two. So if I have him, forty-two. Okay. F- yeah, for me, it's that Byram Podkolzin coin flip. If both are there, oh my god! Like I, I'm not upset with either and- of taking either of those two players. I really think we need a lot more help coming in at D. But for me, Podkolzin is. 1A, 1B on their list. And and for what it's worth, a very light breeze for me right now could have Turcotte leapfrog Pod Colson. Oh, for sure. I have Pod Colson right now at two uh, behind Byram ahead of uh, Turcotte, and that's going to flip a hundred more times. Yeah. Think about it. If you're obsessed with Byram or you're obsessed with Turcotte, as I'm sure we will be at different points in time, if you get Pod Colson and then you have a line of like Valeno, Pod Colson, Zadina, Max oh. actually brought that up to me. Can you imagine how silly that line would be? Gonna oh be my a new God. Pair of pants. Yeah. There's no losing. <laughs> that would literally. Okay. Hold on. With the way that line would be built, there's a Motor City line pun in here somewhere. Yeah. Or even, <laughs> or even replace Pod Colson with Caulfield. Like, we are blessed that this draft is so deep because we didn't get a lottery pick. Oh, yeah. We are absolutely blessed. Oh, 100%. Now, uh, that's the draft profile. The next one, we'll, we might actually have to tackle Byron for the next one. Yeah. So uh, we're going to move on to uh, our Detroit Red Wings deep dives. And what this is is going to be uh, essentially a season of review player by player, um, talking about what they are, what they will be, uh, what's going to happen with them, especially with the Eisenman administration coming in um, and, a, and what they'll mean to the Red Wings moving forward. We're going to start uh, position by position. We'll start with Dylan Larkin. We'll start with centers. We'll start with the most impactful one. Softball. Yeah, Dylan Larkin. He done a good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it goes without saying that Dylan Larkin had the best year of his career. Uh, pretty much doubled his uh, goal total from the last year. Um, career high in goals and assists. Or career high in goals, career high in points. Um, 32 goals, 41 assists, 73 points. Um 
was absolutely the best player for the Red Wings all year. Uh, took the, I don't want to say the biggest step relatively, but took the most important step of any player. There was a handful of players where we were preaching and saying, if this team is truly to get better with the fixture they have now, Dylan Larkin needs to take a massive step forward, and that's what he did. He doubled his goal total from yeah. last year. Yeah. he's um, Dylan Larkin, if he hovers around 73 to 85 points for his career, he is absolutely fine as Detroit's uh, first-line center. I do think there needs to be center depth coming in, and I would prefer a superstar center a- ahead of him. But Dylan Larkin had a phenomenal year. Nobody's crying over a 70 to 80 point centerman in the no. NHL. Now let's talk about what he did. Uh, Dylan Larkin, when he when he came into the league, was known for his blazing speed um, and tenacity. He would go to finish every check, would essentially skate circles literally around everyone, would try the same wraparound move like three times and would actually work on, on one of them. Um, incredibly talented player that relied a lot on his skill and raw ability and less on his hockey sense, which was there. Um, and that showed or that resulted in some frustration because in his sophomore year, uh, his point total dropped in the same amount of games from 45 to 32. Uh, everything was more limited. He went from a, I hate the stat, but plus 11 to a minus 28. So he definitely suffered. Oof. And, and that was a year where Detroit, a lot of like Detroit's shortcomings were coming to fruition in terms of actual results in the standings. And so some of that was Larkin being shut down after the teams had the tape on him. And some of that was you know, he'd had less help um, this year, though, this past the, season. The nice, the one of the best things outside of, you know, being a 30-goal scorer and mid-70-point guy is his game has changed dramatically from over the, from what his first year to this year. Like you said, he, he basically was a perimeter guy, skated around, like, burning the ice, mm-hmm. and would just do circles in the offensive zone and get of the lowest of quality opportunity out of it. He has absolutely changed to and understood how the NHL game is played and he has thrived in it. So, you know, he could have had a lesser year and I still would have said his career is going in the right path just because he's a, he's changed so dramatically in the way he, he approaches and, and sees how the game is played. Mm-hmm. Um, this is by far the, the biggest year for Dylan Larkin and it it really kind of opened up the window to see where he can go in his career and I, I this big of a dramatic change for the better has been huge. So to me Dylan Larkin's biggest strength as a player is that he you can't classify him as a type of player. So he said his career high in points this year, but his assist totals went down by 6. Yeah, so last year he was a straight up playmaker. This year, he was more of a goal scorer. He is whatever the Red Wings need him to be, which is a very rare trait in a hockey player. Yep. Yeah. Here's the problem. If when we picked Dylan Larkin at 15th overall, and you said this was going to be his average, that is a grand slam. You get a consistent near point per game player centerman who can play whatever role you need him to play at pick 15 yeah that's that's way that he'll be the he's got to be one of the best 15th overall picks of all time yeah um here's the problem though and i think red wings fans tend to get into a little bubble and this isn't a knock on larkin because like i said for what he is he's a grand slam he finished 42nd in league scoring 
So if we're talking about a first line center, he wasn't even in the top. Like, so there's 31 teams in the league. So if only every team had one player ahead of him, I know that's not how it works, but essentially, I know you said if Dylan Larkin can absolutely be this team's number one center, unless the second line center is giving equal output to Dylan Larkin and you have a winger putting up north of 80, 90 points, you cannot be a contender with Dylan Larkin as your number one center. No. There I, needs to be a lot going right around him. No, and, and I, I think that my statement still holds, because I think you're yeah. completely correct. Yeah. I think Dylan Larkin can be this team's first line center for now and in the future if you have like a fully panned out Zadina plus another awesome winger on his side. Like, we were, it was a hard and fast, Dylan Larkin cannot be this team's best centerman before last season. And now, and if we flash back to our um, our episode with uh, uh, Micah McCurdy, he he told us Dylan Larkin is, is good, like you mentioned, in weird ways. It's hard to classify him because he seems to be like amorphous in his game and, and he's like the, the ditto Pokemon of this team and he does what he needs to do. This team has changed a lot and Nine times out of ten, not in a good way. He has had worse teammates to play with than he did in his rookie year. Um, his teammates have been kind of like sporadic and streaky, both in who they actually are and how they're performing. Darren Helm. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, Dylan Larkin cannot be this team's best player if they're to be competitive, but he sure is holding down the fort right now. He hasn't evolved to his final form yet. No, and, and I think if you put better players with him, he could get even better. I I, I, I want to put a uh, cautious cap on that because I don't think Dylan Larkin will ever be a 9,100-point player. So basically, he's not the Connor McDavid who can pull this tire fire behind him. No. But he certainly could put up some c- continued success with complementary pieces. <laughs> Here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people mention, though. So at the end of the year and that two week stretch where Dylan Larkin finally had some proper, consistent line mates with Tyler Bertuzzi and Anthony Mantha in that little run of success they had. If we were ranking point totals by players on that line, Dylan Larkin was third. Bertuzzi and Mantha outscored him in that stretch, which is a fantastic problem to have. But. As much as I, I do tend to agree that Larkin is the engine that drives that line, the case could be not really. It's kind of evenly spread. But here's the 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 big picture with this. Yeah, Larkin had awful line mates this year, and it was an awful team. The fact that he did this with Justin Ablocator and Darren Helm on his wing for most of the season is a testament to how good he is, but it's also countered by the fact with this team being so bad, most forwards don't get 23 minutes a night. No, and that that's a fair point as well. That, that's a good counter-argument because his per 60 numbers aren't fantastic because his <laughs> he plays so much. <laughs> yeah, which is a good thing that he's able to play that much, but it is going to inflate his numbers yeah. because he's getting that much more opportunity. I think we're all kind of analytically inclined in terms of favoring those numbers and seeing the value in them. But at the end of the day, hockey's not played on paper and I'm never going to devalue a guy because he can play a ton of minutes. If the team is bad, watch the game nerd. That's a good asset. (laughs) Dylan Larkin among all centers was 24th in both points and points per game this year. So I honestly, in my mind, if that's what the team has as a number one center for now, and they have the choice of either, you know, adding a Caulfield or a pod Colson, if it has to be a winger or a Byram and then holding that for now, if you have Larkin, Valeno pans out, and then you get another centerman. We need a superstar somewhere in the somewhere. forward core, and then we just need complementary pieces who have good, like, strong numbers. If we have a winger that is outscoring Larkin every year, 
we can make that work. Yeah, we just if, need like an Ovechkin or a Pod Colson or something like that. It's uh, it's. <laughs> yeah. And if the second line center, let's say it is Joe Valeno and Joe Valeno's best hit reaches his best case scenario, which is about what Dylan Larkin is right now. And we have two Dylan Larkins running the top six. Also acceptable. But here's the reality. Joe Valeno, as good as he's going to be, is probably not going to be Dylan Larkin. No. Um, as good as some of these wingers in this draft might be, are probably not going to be David Pasternak. You this- need a superstar to win a Stanley Cup. Period. I just want, I want to say this, Brad, and this is the point. I think I, I pulled away from your point, and you were yep. making a good one. Dil, this team can be competitive with Dylan Larkin as a fixture, as a, as a top one or two center, but it would be way easier for them to be competitive if they added a superstar center ahead of him. Yeah. The, yep. the building that would need to happen around Larkin is much more substantial than the building that would need to happen if you added a Jack Hughes this year. Yeah, exactly. So, again, th- this is why... And- so it's Get, harder to win with worse players. With worse players, yeah. Big take here. Weird. Oh, okay. Where's that cowbell? <laughs> the Home Depot. The Home Depot hot take. <laughs> Home Depot. That'll be thirty five dollars. Thank you. <laughs> Some of us have to golf today. Golf aid free. <laughs> um, should be for how but, I play it. But yeah, yeah. So again, you look at this draft, it, and the, the unless you're really sold that Vasily Pod Colson is light years ahead of Alex Turcott, this is almost the argument for an Alex Turcott because mm-hmm. he is now, he could be your number two center and there's a good chance he will be a good to 60 to 80 point guy in the NHL. And Hey, problem solved. Yeah. Building down the middle is never a bad idea. No, if you, if you're going in, cause right now depth is everything. So you look at this franchise long-term, you either fall into two camps. You believe Andreas Athanasiu is the answer at center which I tend to not be in that camp. I'm an N on that. And if you do, if you do believe in Athanasiu, then we're set because you're going to have Larkin, Athanasiu, Valeno, and you can argue, good, there is your three centers for the next however long you can build wingers around him. You can draft a defenseman and not worry about it. If you don't, so who's the centers on this team long term? Larkin, Valeno, Glenn Denning. And, we're good. And, and De La Rose. <laughs> So, ah. so this is this is going to be the issue. the The good thing is the issue isn't Dylan Larkin. Yeah. So to review Dylan Larkin's season, he's very much not the issue. The fact that we're even talking about him as, hey, this guy could be the number one center, and this team might not suck if he's the number one center. That's the best we could have possibly oh, hoped yeah. for out of Dylan. The fact Larkin. that that's even an argument, we would have called us crazy a summer ago. I, I as we talk this out, I do err towards Brad's opinion. Like I, I think you're you've hit the nail on the head here. It's great that we're even having this conversation, but it sure would be better if we didn't have to. And for three guys who always preach best player available, if there's ever a draft to push you towards drafting for position. Also helps that there's a bajillion centers. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Like the talent within, if you have Byram and Turcotte, you know, within a percentage point of each other in terms of how much you like them. It's always scary drafting someone who is a pure goal scorer because scoring goals at the NHL level is exponentially more difficult than where they've come from. Mm-hmm. It's taking someone who's got a strong 200 foot game and is a high hockey IQ player. I would roll the dice on them more than someone who's built as a 
pure goal score. Because, uh, well, you that, you almost nailed the Pod Colson versus Caulfield argument. Uh, uh, effectively, Cole Caulfield is a way better goal scorer than Vasily Pod Colson, and nobody will argue that point. But Cole Caulfield's skill set is uh, such that he's either a top six winger or he's not in the NHL. Vasily Pod Colson will play on your third line all day, every day, tomorrow if you needed him to. Yeah. So, it's like the, the difference between, you know, hitting for home runs and taking the singles and doubles. Yeah. So again, I, I that's Although why I, not to say Pod Colson is not a home run at some point, but there are questions. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, it's 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 like the the Dylan Cousins versus Kirby Doc debate. Dylan Cousins, I'm pretty positive, is going to be an NHL player. I don't no even know where what. we're at in that conversation. Yeah, anymore. no, I just kind of circle back. But we'll get. Well, you know, we'll, we'll get to that to, when we yeah, yeah when we get to Cousins. That'll be the, our most difficult profiles. I want to talk about Dylan Larkin's uh, contract. $6.1 million until he's 27 years old. Yes, please. This is a good, phenomenal contract. It was good when he signed it. It's great now. It, it really, really does allow Steve Eisman now to come in and it softens a blow of all the awful contracts on this team. Having your, right now, cornerstone, and then in the future, one of your most important pieces locked down for $6.1 million until he's 27 years old. Yeah, he'll be due a big payday, but... Oh, yeah, he's, he's getting $9 million a year for eight years on that contract. But, you know, <laughs> as a team needs to move through and, and start developing, that is a fantastic contract. Dylan Larkin is the envy of the league right now. Every single team in the NHL would love a Dylan Larkin. He is absolutely... There's nothing bad to say to say about him. Yeah, there, we had a uh, a little bit of a gray area conversation about him today, but all of that, like Brad mentioned, is a product of how well he's done. He's entered himself into the next tier of, of conversation in terms of what he can be to this team. Yeah, when you draft a center at 15th overall, if you sit there and go, "Yeah, this guy might be your second line center for uh, for a good team," you'd be like, "Amazing." The fact that this guy was able to switch, maintain his speed and pace of play, but also add his hockey IQ. Has the uh, he took such a step in terms of like creativity and vision on the ice and utilizing the skill of those around him, whether he's playing with Helm or whether he was playing with you know Zadina of the future, you see him. He steps towards the middle of the ice. He utilizes his his uh, his abilities at different speeds. He controls the tempo of the game, and his execution is fantastic. His passes, his uh, generation of of space, his. Well, he scored thirty goals, first thirty goal score for Detroit in, in a decade, and in, in, like in days, in days, right? Well, the the one impre- one of the really impressive things to me about Dylan Larkin scoring scoring thirty goals this year was how many of the goals he scored this year were a direct result of his speed. Not many. Yeah, that's exactly. No, what yeah, it was. like, and that's exactly it. He changed his game. In my long winded rant or analysis, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, he's uh, he's now a complete player. But if I had to criticize. One part of Dylan Larkin's game is goatee. Goatee, yeah, it's not great. Uh, <laughs> I think it's coming along. It's, he's like the evil Dylan Larkin from a parallel that's universe. That's all right. They he looks, he looks like he's from Waterford, Michigan, and that's okay. That's true. He's a lunch pail looking guy. <laughs> Speaking of it, that does actually transition to my criticism pretty well. Dylan, stay the hell out of the penalty box. Yeah, I don't get. I, you should not be when you're leading the team in scoring. You should also not be leading the team in penalty minutes. He's very 22 years old, and it shows. And is emo- I like the fact that he's emotional, and I'd rather have a guy who cares too much. But he does need to temper that a little bit. Yeah, like he, he needs to temper the temper. You know. Yeah, yeah. Wait, Dylan, you're more valuable to the team when 
you're not coming out of the penalty box. You scored one goal all year by catching a breakaway coming out of the box. It's not a sustainable model to score goals. No, absolutely not. It uh, worked once, Dylan. We don't need offside reviews because of this. So we started with Dylan Larkin because it was the easiest one for us to do. The other ones were, are going to be a lot more intricate in terms of... Hope you like a lot of doom and gloom on some people. <laughs> yeah. Next week, Justin Ab... No. <laughs> we'll wrap up each one with, but Steve Eisenman's the GM, so it's okay. Uh, with that, we're going to head over to Overtime, which of course is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, thanks to them. We get to do the show, and all of your comments get read out on air, guaranteed as our way of saying thank you for supporting us. Um, we are going to start with Joseph Fournier. Brad, congrats on the upcoming edition. You set a great example to those out there doing what they love while raising a family. Cheers. Uh, my hat's off to you. That was Aww. so nice. Aw, thank you. Uh, having never seen it before, all this Brooklyn Nine-Nine talk has sparked me to binge the series. I'm a dozen episodes into season three, and I freaking love it. Erickson and Daly are totally Hitchcock and Scully. <laughs> Abdelkader is Boyle. Howard is Jeffords. The Vulture is Vanek. Still figuring out the rest. Evan, what level are your Clash of Clans town halls? I'm at Town Hall 10 and Builder Base oh, 6, bud. and I upgrade slowly and thoroughly. Stay fresh. But I am... My builder hall is max. I am maxed on that. So if anyone knows anything about it, that's pretty good. And uh, I haven't upgraded my town hall to the max yet because I'm just, you know, one of those guys who are annoying in wars. And I keep everything lower and then I just crush everyone. (laughs) Speaking of wars and crushing everyone, that reminded me. Are you guys are you guys mentally ready for tonight? No, I am not mentally What's ready for the, oh, Game of Thrones. I my prediction is this episode is all based in King's Landing. Really, ca- but, the episode's so, called I the Battle of Winterfell. And, oh, they have the names out for the episodes. Yeah. I think so. Oh. Also, they also have the time the time lengths for every episode. This is the longest episode of yeah, the season. Yeah, this is all going to be King's Landing, and then nothing else will be. The director, I uh, can't remember his first name, Sapochnik, is the guy who did Hard Home and The Battle of the Bastards. So when they bring this guy in, there's going to be oh, a okay. big battle. I, see, I know none of this. Yeah. Uh, I'm not... I'm not a TV guy, so I don't like dig into the, the, the findings. With zero don't. spoilers, with zero spoilers, what a crazy week... This will be watching both Endgame and this episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. I've only seen but zero of them so far. Don't worry, Ryan. They'll be safe in the crypts. They'll be safe in the crypts. They'll be safe in the crypts with all the dead people. They'll be safe in the crypts is the retool on the fly of the Game of Thrones world. <laughs> uh, Kalen Wood says, congrats on the job. Uh, oh, congrats on the BB, Brad. Congrats on the baby. Uh, I don't have one of my own, and you're about to have two, but I do have time, money, and fun, so I don't know. I, <laughs> I have disposable income. <laughs> time, money, and fun. I have one of those things. We, we, uh, yeah, we have fun. I have fun. Yeah. Kid, kids are fun. Uh, some t- uh, someone mentioned on a previous pod the reverse barber pull sweater, and I almost did have a baby with that idea. My God, that'd be legendary. Uh, thanks so much for the dedication, fellas, and Evan. Uh, WTF, WTF, man, you're becoming a regular. What's happening? Go play Apex instead or something. I've been spending entirely too much time in uh, Sekiro at the moment. Huge Dark Souls slash Bloodborne fan. Have any of you ever tapped into your masochistic side and tried oh, those titles? Yeah. Cheers, boys. Let's go Red Wings. Hit me up on the Discord for some Dark Souls 1, 2, or 3. I will definitely play that. Don't have Sekiro. My friends have it and love it, but that's not multiplayer, so we can't experience our masochism together. Uh, P.S. I'm kind of rooting for the Canes mainly because I still can't bring myself to root for the abs, even though I kind of like them. But those bunch of jerks are something just as fun. Who are you rooting for? The Canes. I'm rooting for chaos for first team, first time cup winner. So I'm in on 
Columbus, San Jose, and St. Louis right now. Give me a naked Joe Thornton at center ice doing uh, adultery things if they win. I don't have a soft spot, soft spot for Joe Thornton like a lot of people do, but now I do after you said that. I have a picture with Joe Thornton when I was like seven years old. My, uh, is that my, where you got your powers from? Uh, my beard powers. Yeah, maybe. your jawline yeah. was really soft before you met yeah. him, and then it just sharpened up. Yeah. So my two favorite players in the league outside of Detroit play for San Jose right now. So even though I objectively have hated San Jose for years, I really want to see Gus and Carlson get a cup. Was yeah. Joe Thornton rookie of the year? No, he had a terrible rookie of the year. Huh. He had a terrible rookie year. He scored like six goals or something like that. And then they traded him. Oh, they traded him when he was very good still. He, oh, they, yeah. still. I think he's still the only player in NHL history to win the Hart Trophy in a year where he was traded. Wow. Because uh, that was 2005 six. He got traded from Boston to San Jose. Yeah. And won the Hart Trophy. Wow. He already had, th- when he got traded, he had 33 points in 23 games. Yeah. That sounds like a that- Hart Trophy caliber season. <laughs> Let's trade a guy who's trending very upwards. Well, that was a weird because in 0203 he had 101 points, and then the next year in the same amount of games he had 73. That's a 28 point decline. What's that about? Well, was he injured? I don't know. That's well, a, the same amount of games. Horrible, and it's horrible cr- problem to have. And it's crazy to think he was in the NHL for nine years when he won that Hart Trophy, and he's still going. Uh, Advanced Water says, I know the Wings aren't playing, but this is probably my favorite playoffs in five to six years at least. I live for the chaos that is the Sharks versus Canes final. Oh, This yeah. first round has been the best first round I can probably remember. In, in the future, we'll talk about this whole, is this good for hockey thing? And I think it's a fair argument, but my short answer, yeah, I like it. I enjoy it, but is this good for hockey overall? I tend to lean to the no. Future episode. Future episode. That's a deep dive because I'm very conflicted on my own opinion. Uh, Alex Toger says, the minute the press conference was over, I impulsively bought a Stevie jersey and now have the itch for more. Who should be the next jersey? A Larkin All-Star or a Littstrom 09 Winter Classic? Uh, the Larkin All-Star, because if you get the Littstrom, I'll be so jealous I will combust and die. Larkin All-Star. So that would be the Nashville one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of those jerseys, so go for the Lidstrom also, uh, the Lidstrom Winter Classic. I also know I'm a little bit late from the last game, but uh, last game of the season, but I sent you guys a DM on Twitter with a picture of what kept me away since the podcast kept me busy while I was unable to make it. Uh, Alex was one of the winners who had to pass on making it to the game with us. Oh. He was taking, this was where he was, he flew this plane down. Wait, oh. I'm, yeah. wait I'm sorry, what? He... Uh, he flew one of the university planes down to Florida for a big air show to recruit students for the aviation major. Uh, oh, that, this I see. picture is from the Smoky Mountains descending into Knoxville, Tennessee, on the morning that he flew home. So very cool, very worthy reason to not hang out with two, three meatheads like us. Um, in the future, though, Garrett TV says, "Guys, we're currently witnessing exactly what why the playoff system should be changed, or are we? Uh, hear me out. I realize we just saw an absolutely incredible first round, but look what's left." Potential matchups for the uh, Eastern Conference Finals could range from kind of okay, Boston Islanders, to absolutely putrid, Carolina Columbus. I disagree, but I understand your point. Uh, Don't get me wrong, for current fans and hockey people, there's a lot to like here, but not so much for expanding the sport to new people and showcasing it on a national scene. Something like Carolina-Dallas Final would be objectively horrible to spotlight. Having new markets represented deep in the playoffs is great, but there's limited value in terms of what it provides to the league. Not every market is a Las Vegas. At least in the old 1-8-seeded system, there was increased likelihood that the best teams would be represented late in the playoffs or that an awesome upset would happen early and drum up interest. Even in this year, Columbus over Tampa Bay provided a lot more questions and interest in in existing hockey circles than it did in new ones. Islanders-Pittsburgh wasn't actually an upset. 
Fortunately, in the current system, uh, we have exciting matchups early, and the severe likelihood of exciting or and um, or that sever the likelihood of exciting matchups late. Even things like Boston, Toronto are getting tiresome to fans outside those cities. My God, I'm exhausted. I just series. hate the continued. Wait, is this question done? No. Uh, this will only get more challenging as cap parity spreads. Argument about having new markets represented deeper in the playoffs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Fear that Vegas has given the league uh, false playoff hope, and also holy fuck, does the officiating suck? Uh, the last thing we need is Marshall so appropriately likening the Eakin five plus ten call to the Saints Rams pass interference. Yikes! Bring back one through eight seeds. Let's go Red Wings. I just hate the continual Boston Toronto type matchups. Give me anything else, and if they meet later in the playoffs, then we've got this epic clash of of history i just hate no toronto right now is like well we're gonna make the playoffs next year and we're gonna be playing boston i don't like the clustering divisionally either i didn't like it from the start i think boston toronto's tired and i i agree that one through eight though not a perfect system is the best way right now to to run it plain and simple i also want the one eight but for different reasons so i Right now, as a Red Wings fan, we had two years of Tampa Bay before we stopped seeing the playoffs. And if we went back to the playoffs, I would love to avenge those series and see Tampa Bay again and and get our match. So I actually don't mind seeing the same teams over and over again. But what I want is I want those series of top-end rivalries like Detroit-Colorado from the 90s, Pittsburgh-Washington from recent years to happen in the second and third rounds because they're the good teams, so they beat the bad teams, and then they always meet each other in the higher rounds. Stop force-feeding this garbage in the first round. Just let the top four teams pick who they want to play. Let the chaos happen, and then those rivalries will really organically happen. You know, I'm, I'm actually down for that idea, but not so much where I'd go to go to bat for it. I just think this whole, you know, uh, one team gets an easier path to the playoffs through no doing of their own is garbage. Leave that to March Madness. I don't like the bracket. I, I get the appeal of having a bracket, but it's just like make it make your bracket a little bit more complicated and, and pres- protect the integrity of the playoffs. I don't like the idea that Boston has an easier path. It would be they, unreal. They imagine, <laughs> imagine a scenario where... Boston finishes in the the conference in the bottom half and Toronto gets to draft or pick who they want to play and they pick Boston. There there there's I can already see the the stadium seating flying across the arena as fans throw them at each other because <laughs> now we've got the team saying we can't beat you and we're going to do it this year and the Boston fans are the Boston fans. But yeah, Back to one to eight. I don't care if they do a draft because that's way too radical for the NHL. Just oh yeah, this Toronto already knowing they're playing Boston again in the playoffs next year probably is boring. I want one to eight, and I want final four reseeding. Oh, final four reseeding. I'm super down with. I want yeah, that. Yeah, I want there to be wait final four across on, both conferences. So so the last eight teams. No, no last four, four teams. So you oh, get okay, you get see, to the conference final. So then. One plays four, which could be Toronto playing Vegas. Okay, I, I got it. Which you. that means, so let's say there's a year where Toronto and Montreal are both really good. Toronto plays Vegas, Montreal plays Winnipeg yeah. in the conference finals, and then Toronto Montreal <laughs> wins. So now all of a sudden the cup finals is Toronto Montreal, Toronto Boston, Detroit, Colorado. You can get any Pittsburgh, Washington, any combination of rivals that could meet in the finals. So basically what it comes down to is anything but what we have. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, Glitch says, hey, fellas, how do the Columbus Blue Jackets beat the Lightning? I wanted them to win Stevia Cup before he came back, but no. What did the Blue Jacket or what did the Lightning do wrong or the Blue Jackets do right? Was it mostly down to let them play mentality of the refs that allows for more interference or something? Also, Brad, where did babies come from? Um, no, it, you know what? Chicago yeah. or Chicago, Columbus is on an absolute heater by the time they play, got into the playoffs and were playing meaningful games for like two months. Yeah. Whereas Tampa Bay was cru- on cruise control and Tampa Bay. Clearly, we're surprised. <laughs> so that's a big piece, and also Columbus adjusted their game to match Tampa's play style, and Tampa did not. John adjust. Cooper was massively outcoached. Massively, yep. Tam- uh, Columbus threw in a very trap system to slow Tampa down, and they just got hotter at the right time. Sometimes the simplest answer is the correct answer. Because again, if you, I keep seeing this narrative of Columbus outgridded Tampa Bay. Columbus was in the bottom third of the league for block shots and hits throughout the season, and Tampa was top 10 in both. So if any team was going to outgrit the other, Tampa had the advantage there. Yeah. I think there was, I saw a graphic, and it was like, every team that moved on has been playing meaningful games for an extended period of time and are on an absolute tear. Like, look at St. Louis, for example. They're the best team in the league after January 1st. Columbus had to basically play do-or-die hockey for a more than a month um who else i don't know there's a colorado oh yeah they just calgary had no answers to them either dallas as well dallas like these are team it, it means a lot and should that hold true to the extent that we saw at this playoffs no but the laws of the universe very obviously don't apply for these playoffs uh but no i, I don't blame the referees for that series at all that was Pure, that was Columbus and, and John Tortorella's. That's first and foremost their success. And secondly, that was Tampa's failure. They made a lot of mistakes a lot of different ways. Uh, Rowan says, hey, talkie show hosts. I don't know about you, but 10 days into the eyes of the rain, I'm still high as heck on life. I enjoyed Custins trying to get answers out of him in that interview. Yeah, he really had to pull teeth. Uh, you've probably already talked about the under 18 worlds, but who was the uh, prospect that any of the following? One, most stood out or caught your eye, Cole Caulfield. Jack Hughes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> two, two was not impressive as previously thought. Oh, I want to add Alex Newhook in there. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. tournament yeah. for Canada. Uh, two was not as impressive as previously thought. Vasily Pod Colson. Dylan Cousins. Um, I, I don't believe this, but I will hear an argument for it that, you know, U.S. has been scoring goal after goal after goal after goal after goal. Turcotte isn't as heavily showcased in those as a lot might have imagined. Scored the first goal of the game today. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Set it up and finished it. Uh, also, you can't say New Hooker Caulfield, but happy to hear your thoughts on them anyways. Oops. Uh, jersey time. Favorite jersey left in the playoffs. Alts are in play. Uh, Colorado's alts. Ooh, okay. I There's a lot of good candidates here. Like, do you go San Jose with their blacks? I love St. Louis's jerseys, their regulars and their alts. Um... Oh my! Colorado's alts, Carolina. Colorado's regulars and alts are good. Yeah, I love the state flag jerseys. Give I, me a stealth black any day of the week. Yeah, stealth black are really nice on white ice. You know what? I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go St. Louis. Nah, all right, I respect that. 
I'm going to go St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, we have time for some questions over from uh, Reddit. Uh, Hockey0284 says, what do you guys think of Pod Colson's production? We didn't mention it. Uh, he says, it's less than inspiring. I haven't had a chance to watch any of it, so I want to see your opinion. Was it bad play, poor utilization, bad line mates, no power play time? I think there might be a chance that he falls to six. If he does, would you be happy with a winger over center or defenseman? I know best player available, but do we need more one line? Uh, two line wingers depends who's there. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, the under I, I have a hard time attributing performance in one tournament because it could be uh, no power play time. It could be bad utilization. It could be a lot of different things. But this isn't a team that plays together all the time. Not like the US NTDP, right? So chemistry comes into play. If he's injured, that comes into play. Also sample size. So and it, it's very dependent too. So. When Pod Colson's playing in league play, where there are a lot of players older than him, I could hear the argument for bad utilization and poor line mates. Or if he came from a country that was weaker, where they only have a couple of good players, like how Zadina got screwed in the World Juniors, I can hear an argument for bad line mates. But Russia was one of the stronger teams in this tournament, and he was their captain. He was getting premiumized time, and he was not being put on poor lines. So, eh. there's a, there's also a reason why he's ranked as like the third con- overall pick for ninety nine percent of the year. Yeah, he, that doesn't just happen. No, no, and that's why I, I don't. I always say this, but I don't assign a lot of value to like dramatic shifts late in a draft. This draft is a little bit of an anomaly, like. You see all the talent on the U.S. You can see why Cole Caulfield was overlooked because it was easy for people to see the numbers on paper and say, "Oh, he's a product." To me, the only use. person who's throwing wrenches into it is Cole Caulfield, and I still don't think many GMs will take a knee-jerk reaction because the drafting process is so calculated. But but if you're going to use a sample size argument, that does kind of work against Pod Colson too because he had that monster Halinka tournament at the beginning of the season. But everything, ever since then, everybody's been very whelmed. So he started the season on a heater and was rocketed up everybody's boards. And it could be a product of everybody's just been too scared to bump him down. Uh, Han Solo Mail says, love the pod. That is all. Uh, Kimosabe R22 says, is Newhook a number six kind of prospect? Or is he someone we'd only take if we traded back? I love his game. Yeah, he's not a number six prospect. If Detroit took him number six... I almost definitely there would be some people we'd favor more on the board. If Detroit traded back, got a great pick in addition, and then drafted Newhook, I'd be perfectly Man, that happy. cost is going to be huge. I would he's, be perfectly happy. He's at 10 to 15 range. And if they traded back to, to nine, took Newhook, and then got an extra first-round pick next year like we chatted about last episode. Oh, they did. If they got an extra first, hell yeah. Yeah. Party on. Uh, PK408 says, I read the athletic article by Scott Burnside of the top coaches out there who can fill NHL vacancies and saw Gronberg's name on the list, but then heard Friedman mention him having a better shot as an assistant first. I'm curious to see if he would accept anything less than a head coaching job, and if so, what are the possibilities of him coming to Detroit as an assistant or a plan B for if when Blashill doesn't work out? I know he's uh, he's known to be a forward-thinking coach and would strike me as Eisman's kind of guy. I know we can only speculate, but what do you guys think? Man, we are the most biased three to give an opinion on this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I think Friedman's right. I Maybe not necessarily fair, but the NHL has a very old school way of, of bringing in coaches. Despite, you know, repeated failures, the same coach will be recycled through the league until they learn instead of giving you guys a chance. So, yeah, the assistant coaching path is the way in. I don't know who Eisman has eyes for. Ottawa's... Uh, interviewing Jacques Martin and DJ Smith from Toronto. I I would love Gronberg in as some it, capacity as part of this team. You know, maybe head coach 
given how the NHL operates, is is a little too much of a step. Assistant coach would be amazing, especially for the young guys on our team. Yeah, but coaches get a lot of control over their staff, and I'm imagining Blashill likes his staff, so I can't see any replacements coming. But Disco could, Dan, how could you? How could you not? I could see Blashill not having as much control with Eisman coming in. I could see it, but also Eisman's coming in with brand new eyes, so he's not gonna rock the boat because he probably doesn't have any hard opinions on the staff right now because he doesn't know them that well yeah so we're at least starting the season in all likelihood with this staff oh would, yeah would Gromberg be a good fit almost perfect for what Detroit needs right now is it likely to happen no for a few reasons one there's 31 other or there's 30 31 other teams yeah who would be taking a look at this guy two uh the vacancy just isn't there unfortunately. And three, we have to account for our bias on the pod, obviously, because Gronkberg has been on with us. We'll have him on again in the future. We would love to see him in the NHL. Um, oh, Anthony Panther tried his intro. It's an, it's an intro about... Um, it's, a, it's a Trump... It's a play on Trump's words. It's actually really funny. It ends with Make the Red Wings Skate Again. Um, I'm sorry. I keep not seeing this in time, but it's okay. We, we generally wouldn't open our episodes with... Um, we can't talk politics with Ryan. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't let him do it. Uh, but they did have a question, new question this week. Uh, would you consider trading for Chicago's pick if a deal could be made? The reason I ask is because I think Byram is who they'll select and defense is our weakest spot on prospects. Chicago, I think, is looking for a player like Byram to replace Keith. And while it never hurt to have good forward depth, I think someone like Byram is exactly what we need but won't be there. It's uh, a high cost to move up. So I'm a, even at that, I'm a hard no. It would have to be such a ridiculously sweet deal for Detroit for me to do it because the way this draft's shaping up, there's no way this draft goes down where there's not a guy sitting at six that I don't absolutely love for Detroit. Yeah, even if Detroit takes, and this is actually Dave Thor's question, is is they're getting increasingly scared of uh, Detroit drafting Caulfield. Um, even if Detroit takes Cole Caulfield, they just got a free asset that's poised to do great things for them. Uh, again, everybody, the similarities between Alex DeBrinkett and Cole Caulfield are startling. And Alex DeBrinkett just scored north of 40 goals last year. If Alex DeBrinkett in a redraft of his year would go three or four. Yeah, it's it's insane. So if that's our worst case scenario, cool. Because right now, in my mind, the worst case scenario for Detroit is if the five players drafted ahead of them are Hughes. Kako, Podkolzin, Byram, Turcott, which still leaves us Zegris, Caulfield, um, if the new hook, if you're that high on him, Doc, if you're high on him, Cousins, if you're high on him, I'm not that big on those three. But if that's our worst case scenario, we're doing all right. You're doing OK. With that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, this midweek episode is going to be our Patreon exclusive. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And then we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming next Sunday. I want to thank all of our Patreon supporters, especially our name-level sponsors. Sky Carcass, Luke, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Allant, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, Henley. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I have some challenges for you guys. Listen to the outro. Head over to wingedwheelpodcast.com. Go to the Support Us page. Find out ways to support us. And even if you're not a patron, different things you can do. Rate us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We'd love to see some of that. Thank you guys so much. You're all amazing. Uh, Evan has to go golf. Bye.
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.